Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it is a happy Valentine's Day. I'm spending it not with my wife, <laughs> not drinking wine, not having serpent turf or making some kind of grand gesture, but instead drinking a beer here with my other partner in life, one Mr. <laughs> David Newman. Uh, we indeed have a quarterback. That would be Jimmy GQ, yep. signed, dollar, dollar, dollar bill, y'all. And we've also got a Kiffin. We've got a Kiffin. Breaking news. Breaking news. We have a Kiffin. We've got our very own Kiffin. We have our very own Kiffin. He's a pass rushing specialist who managed to fail up and get basically excommunicated from college for two years and landed an NFL job because, well, that's what football is. It's a giant fraternity of people where if you fail, you get another job, and sometimes it's better. <laughs> I don't even know that it's better. I don't even know that it's better. But you get it. I mean, yeah, you get to fail and uh, get a job because your last name's Kiffin, so props. Yeah, Monty Kiffin to John Lynch to 49ers is how that There you go. Went. Yeah. It's all, I, I, don't all even know the, I don't even know this Kiffin's first name, to be honest with you. Uh, Chris. Chris Kiffin. Lane Kiffin and Chris Kiffin. Um, apparently, I mean, I'd never heard of his name before, like, two minutes ago. Me either. So, Literally. Um, decidedly less exciting than Lane Kiffin. Correct. Um, oh, man, if we got Lane Kiffin, <laughs> that'd be some shit. But let's get to a quick rundown because lots of things happened in the intervening week. We're not going to spend too much time on it because we have lots to cover with our free agent positional preview. This week, we're going to be covering pass catchers. That includes tight ends and pass focus running backs. But... Top story, of course, this week in 49er land. Garoppolo's rich, bitch. Uh, this is what you do when you've got good quarterbacks, man. You pay him. And he's going to have, he currently has the, the richest deal, but it's probably not going to be that way for long. Kirk Cuss is going to get paid. Aaron yep. Rodgers is going to get paid. Everyone's going to get paid. Uh, and the quarterback market will be reset. And that's that. That's how it goes. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you basically, uh, it's kind of funny because we talk about a lot of things uh, and, you know, the whole roster breakdown that we did and a lot of the stuff we're talking about in free agency about how. Um, things aren't binary, right? It's not just good and bad, and, and there's a lot of gray area nuance in between there. With quarterbacks, it's really not. Um, either you have a good one that that you you know are kind of expecting to be around for a while. If you have one of those guys, you pay him, or you don't have that guy, and you're in kind of uh, journeyman land. You know, going from the Brian Hoyers of the world to the Brock I- Osweilers of the world and just kind of bouncing back between all Paxton these. Paxton Lynch to the. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> everybody that's been on the Browns recently. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously that is uh, not nearly as fun, um, but you don't pay those guys generally. Um, and, and you kind of live in that year to year deal where you can get out of them. Um, I mean, the, the great thing, right, is that uh, even though we knew this was coming, we knew he was going to have to get a, a monster deal in order to stick around. The, the deal was constructed in a very smart way. Surprise, surprise. Um, and, and they're going to front load a lot of that. And, you know, if, if things just completely go crazy and, uh, un- unexpectedly poor, uh, they can get out of it if they need to. But I don't think we're going to be really worrying too much about that. Yeah. Uh, my favorite tweet that I saw referred to Prague Marate as a uh, marathlete because of his prowess making some of these um, some of these deals. And I'm going to just go ahead and call him that from here on out. He's a marathlete. Uh, and this was a marathletic deal. He, he built in a ripcord where after two years, if the 49ers decide that Jimmy Garoppolo is indeed not the guy to take him to the promised land, there's only a $4.5 million cap hit if we cut him. This is a 100% front-loaded contract. We're taking advantage of the, of the cap space that we have. And we're not long. We're not tying ourselves to this person long term, and it works out well for the cap if he does turn out to be great, because then we yeah. don't have a lot to to a lot of a burden later on. And if it doesn't turn out to be great, 
we're fine. Yeah, and and I think in what we expect to be the most likely scenario, right, in that he continues to be very good and he's hopefully here for a long time, um, you know, we're talking, you, you get through the, the massive cap hit this year, which obviously that was probably the best thing that they could do to eat yep. up some of this cap space. Um, those cap hits, you know, in years three through five are going to be low when we get there. Like once all these Very other low. quarterbacks start getting deals, you know, we get two more off seasons of quarterbacks uh, getting signed in free agency or getting extensions uh, that are going to kind of continue to move that top level number up and up. And all of a sudden, he's got like $22 million cap hits in those years, uh, and it's going to look like a bargain. It's so. going to be a bargain here very shortly. But the the next story is, of course, not nearly as happy, and that's going to be Reuben Foster, or as it's stated here in the agenda, fucking Reuben Foster. <laughs> uh, at this point, I think you know we're not going to argue the particulars of whether or not the Niners should cut him or not cut him. I think it's pretty obvious that the more talent you have, the more chances you get. Yep. And he's not going to get treated as well, or, or he's not going to get treated like Tremaine Brock. And and that's just the reality of the NFL. And the question here is this. Can you count on Ruben Foster to be a part of this franchise moving forward? Is he in your long-term plans? I think Mayoko said it best when he was like, I don't know that the Niners can really count on him. And if you can't count on him, then does that change your draft plans? Does that change your free agent plans? Um, so I think as far as counting on him long-term, it would be silly not to to factor this stuff in, right? This is... Uh, it, it, this isn't a one-time thing, right? This isn't like, oh man, this popped up. We're at three now. We're yeah. at the diluted sample slash argument with just the hospital since worker. Just he left Alabama, right? And then there's like a whole another set of stuff that supposedly happened, you know, during his time in Alabama. Um, this is a is is very much a pattern of behavior, I think, at this point. And uh, and I think when once it reaches that point, it is something that you have to be concerned with long t- uh, long term and. Um, yeah, it sucks. I, I mean, I don't know that you can count on him. I don't know that it should change things drastically just because, uh, again, linebacker is just not that important in the grand scheme of things. I know um, a lot of people out there disagree and, and want to go like Roquan Smith round one or something like that. And that may end up being a good choice. You know, I don't know. That may uh, end up being BPA. What what is, you know, I, I don't know that people are really in love with a lot of guys at the top of this draft class. So, um, you know, we'll we'll dive into that more later on. But uh, I don't think that it should. Yeah, I don't think you should feel this need to go out. We have to spend big in free agency at linebacker. We have to go uh, take somebody with the ninth or tenth pick in the first round um, just because those other positions that we've identified are still more important positions, and it's still going to have a bigger impact on their defense to improve in those areas than you know, uh, trying to figure out a replacement plan right away for Ruben Foster. I'm a little bit more than a quarter done with my beer, which means that we need to move on. So you've got Daniel Kilgore. He signed a three-year deal. Um, at this point, it, we don't, haven't seen any financials. Always wait for the financials. Always wait for the structure of the deal. He did mention that it was a team-friendly deal. I was personally not super excited to see this deal come through as a three-year deal, but I haven't seen the money yet. And and until I see the money, then you know I won't be able to make a decision. But all indications point towards this being a transitional deal, meaning that you pay him not a ton of money, but you pay him enough money to lock him up for three years. You're still probably going to draft a replacement, and if you do, you get you let that player get some seasoning for a year, and then eventually he supplants Kilgore when he's got one more year left on his deal, or maybe a little sooner, and off you go. And if that's the end result of this deal then I can't hate it, especially given the current state of free agent centers. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what's happening. Um, I would be incredibly surprised if there's like 
any sort of uh, substantial amount of money like tied to this contract. This to me very much says, hey, we're we're not in love with the free agent class that we have coming up here, which it's admittedly a a not very good class of centers that's going to be available. Um, And so we would rather kind of stick with the player that we know and the player that we're comfortable with. We know we love him, you know, as a locker room guy and and what he does off the field um, for the offensive line room. So we're going to stick with that, that we know over someone that we don't know that isn't necessarily this kind of surefire guaranteed upgrade at the position. Um, And I think that's all it is. It doesn't change long-term plans at all. It just means, hey, we're probably not going to sign a veteran center in free agency. And I think David earlier said it best to me when he's like, Kilgore is what he is. He's an up-and-down player. He's going to struggle against really good teams, and he's going to succeed against teams that aren't that great. And and that's what the Niners are comfortable with right now. And hopefully they just didn't pay him an outsized amount of money, which I don't really think that they did. Yeah. But that's going to be the end of the rundown. We have lots to get to with our free agent positional preview. This week, we're going to talk about pass catchers. And we made uh, we made a pretty specific decision to title this episode Pass Catchers, mostly because this isn't just limited to wide receivers. We're also going to bring in tight ends as well as pass catching running backs because we do feel that the Niners need to upgrade these positions as a whole not or, or the pass catching position as a role, not just necessarily wide receivers per se. So as a review for what we're looking for in this category of players, we're looking for tier three or tier two or tier three foundational players. This, of course, harkens back to our model where we broke down the roster. These are basically going to be the players that you expect to perform well and are big pieces of, of what you do as a team or these kind of tier three transitional veterans that you just hope to kind of hold a position and succeed until you can replace them with maybe a, a tier two player. We ideally were focusing on players that come in and play significant snaps and have an immediate impact. So we're not going to focus on depth players or players that don't have a huge role, but players rather that are indeed going to play a very significant role. And cost matters. So we've separated these players into three cost buckets. So the big one, uh, of course, and this is the the one that's going to have a lot of the names uh, that, that people really want to hear about is, is the top dollar guys, right? The guys that are going to come out um, you, you're, you're going to get the most money in free agency this off season. These are typically the most talented players. So guys that are going to come in and sort of, again, get paid at near the top of their position, uh, as far as that contract value, then you have what we're calling the mid-level guys, which, uh, I think this group, you know, can be some different things. I think generally you're looking at more veteran players that don't have that elite talent, right? So they're, they're known commodities. You know what you're going to get from them, uh, in, in large part, but, you're not really expecting that sort of high-end upside. So they're not getting that top-dollar money. Um, You can look at some shorter-term deals. These are going to be a lot of times those Tier 3 players, the transitional players, right? You're not signing a top-dollar guy and expecting him to be there for only a year or two just filling a role. You want him to be there for a long time. Whereas these guys, okay, we're not really willing to commit as much money to them. um, So we see him as more of kind of a short-term stopgap type of option. And then the final bucket is going to be the bargain players. These are your buy low candidates. Um, the great thing about this group is that they're very low risk. You can get them for cheap. Um, you know, for one reason or another, these players are typically at a low point in their value, whether that's, uh, you know, some sort of injury history or coming off an injury last season, um, whether that's having sort of a bad year last year, even though they've had higher levels of performance in the past. 
Um, whatever it is, they're at a low point in their value, but they do have some upside. I think that's a key part, at least as, as far as the way we, we're looking at it. Again, we're not concerned um, with these previews for depth players. They're going to sign some of those guys, and it's ultimately not going to matter. We're looking for guys with the potential to come in and, and actually see significant snaps. So that has to have that kind of upside component to these bargain players. And of course, we're obviously guessing at their bucket category. And we're also putting them where we think we should go after them. And 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 so that's a big part of it. It could be that we get the bucket wrong. And ultimately, we sure. predict kind of a mid-level bucket when in reality, they just get top dollar or someone who's top dollar ends up slipping. Um, so that's definitely something to to note. But we're doing our best guess to figure out where the market's going to place these players. Um, you know, so it's something unexpected could happen. But we, we're pretty confident that they're probably going to land somewhere in those buckets. Um, the other thing to note is that fit does indeed matter. Does the player bring something that's currently absent on the roster? And or do they improve a player or role that is already on the roster? And if so, is that upgrade worth the difference in cost? So that's going to be a, an important criteria because we're going to open up with a quick speed round for players we're not going to talk about and why. Because they don't severely upgrade or they upgrade at too high of a cost. Or their skill would be redundant and we don't need a Stevie Johnson, Michael Crabtree, um, kind of Anquan Bolden scenario again where you've got three players all doing the same thing that don't really scare defenses. Right. I think that part is really key with the passing game in particular because, yes, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, fit matters as well. You know, you want to find guys that that do um, fit what you're doing schematically there, and, and that's always going to be the ideal situation. But in, on defense, I think there's a, a much larger component of, look, if we got talented guys out there, we can make it work, right? We, we can kind of let them go around. We can adapt the scheme enough talent to kind of reign supreme there. Whereas I think offensively you can take a hit on, on just getting the most talented players that are available. If the fits there, you want guys that complement each other. And you know, the example uh, that you used um, for the four Andrews receivers in that last Harbaugh year is a perfect example. All three of those players in a vacuum are very good, talented players, but together they, they just didn't do it for the passing game, right? You, you're limited in what you can do because they all have similar strengths and weaknesses. So you want to find guys that, again, it's really two things. Do they do they add something that we don't have already, or can they take a role that currently exists and improve upon it? So let's talk very quickly about some notable players we won't be discussing. These are players that we see and have seen along the in the Twitter sphere that you might be asking yourself, well, I hope they're going to talk about you know these players. And, and the first is going to be well, Jarvis Landry. And the one thing about Jarvis Landry is that he's a slot guy, primarily a slot player. And how much of an upgrade really is he over Trent Taylor, especially considering what you would need to pay in order to get Jar- in order to get Jarvis Landry? We're pretty happy with with Trent Taylor. I want a Trent Taylor uh, hard hat for the season <laughs> opener with a picture of a lunchbox on said hard hat. Like we're all in the Trent Taylor train Absolutely. and he's a fifth round draft pick. And, and yes, Jarvis Landry is objectively a better player than Trent Taylor. We're not saying that they are comparable, but what we're saying is. Are they, I don't know, $32 million different? Yeah, Trent Taylor has a fifth-round contract, right? Dude is super cheap right now. Uh, Jarvis Landry is very much not... I mean, I would be very surprised if he doesn't get a, a pretty sizable Top deal, dollar in, deal. Free, uh, in free agency this yeah. year. Um, and so when you look at not only... Uh, okay, I don't expect there to be a huge difference in performance alone there, but also that role and what it can really do for your offense is that a little bit of extra, um, you know, increase in performance from that slot role really going to change your offense in, in a, a notable way? Like, I don't really think so. So, yeah, I think that's a situation where Jarvis Landry, 
good player, not any sort of knock on him, but I think uh, for the cost, we have a player in that role that's going to be able uh, to be just fine. Plus, Jarvis Landry's uh, on like the next season of Ballers, right? He looks just like the wide receiver in Ballers. That's that's immediately who I think of when I think Jarvis Landry is he's just the guy in Ballers. Oh my God, that's so true. I never thought about that. Oh no, it's it's Jarvis Landry. I mean, it is is Jarvis Landry. It is, but (laughs) all right, David, who's the next player that we're not going to talk about? Uh, Le'Veon Bell, and I think this one's probably going to make people upset. Uh, You know, we're going to have well, it'll make several, our friend, uh, our friend Chris. Uh, it'll make our friend Chris upset. Uh, look, we're going to have several running back conversations. I think over the course of the offseason, I'm not quite ready to get there yet. Uh, it's just not that. Important. Le'Veon Bell is in his own planet as far as contracts go. Um, he is going to get uh, just an absurd deal, um, and running backs, flat out short version, are not worth it. So let's go to another running back, Deion Lewis. <laughs> Um, so Deion Lewis is interesting though because he he's a guy that actually fits in Shanahan's offense and if we went out and signed him tomorrow um, which it would be impossible because of the way the rules work but if we got to the free agency period and we decided hey we're going to go out and and put a big offer on the table for Deion Lewis I think that would be great but there's a problem with that only insofar as Kyle Juszczyk is the albatross around the neck of the 49ers it's killing him Um, so I think with Deion Lewis and, and again this is one where we're kind of uh, where it was a little more unsure with him and where he's going to land bucket wise than some of the other players. I think he could, uh, you know, easily command top dollar. I think he has the performance to back that up, but you know, it's always tricky to, to know how teams are going to evaluate these skill sets and whatnot. But again, fit is great. Juice is the, is a problem. If, if they didn't have juice on the team, they would be spending less at the running back position than basically all but one other team, I think, in the NFL right yeah, now. Yeah, because really you've got you've got two rookies that are going to be your primary runners right now, which is why yeah. you want to add some depth. But those two rookies are on an undrafted contract and a fourth-round draft pick yeah. contract. That's not a lot of money. No. So you've got the space to pay a halfback to come in and compete, except for the fact that you've got this $23 million motherfucking contract with Kyle Juszczyk. So you take juice's cap hit and add that into the running backs right just factor in all the running backs together and suddenly that moves you from being the team that's paying you know currently with who's on rosters the the second least amount of cap dollars to running backs and that bumps up all the way to middle of the pack so suddenly you're kind of about league average and what you're giving to your backs and now you know when you sign somebody like lewis even if he's getting you know just kind of a higher end mid-level deal well now all of a sudden i'm paying like top two, three, four teams, you know, for running back cap dollars. Uh, and that's just not a smart thing. to It do. is it's, the it's stated position a, of the better rivals podcast that you don't want to put all of your eggs in the running back basket. Yeah. It, Adrian it, Peterson never it. brought a Super Bowl to Minnesota. Like none of these, none of these really great backs uh, that we've seen recently um, have led these like just crazy potent offenses, right? They've all, because they're paying, so much money at the running back position they've struggled to get talent in other places yep. and it just doesn't work out well so i think we have a whole yeah. off season to talk about running back value yes. and, and trust me david <laughs> david is super pumped about this discussion trust oh me he is way amped um i i, I so much i am equally amped i'm so happy when we get to talk about saquon because it's gonna be great yeah. so let's get to the pass catchers that we do think are going to be important for the 49ers um and and that's going to be the top dollar bucket first there are two wide receivers in this top dollar bucket and as a reminder if you didn't listen to last week's episode we are going to go through each player and give you a reason for and a reason against it's going to build cases as to why we think that player makes sense for the niners and why also the 49ers might want to stay away 
So we'll begin with pass catchers, wide receivers in that top dollar bucket. And of course, number one is going to be Allen Robinson. He, of course, is a wide receiver who comes from Jacksonville. He had a torn ACL last year, so he did not complete his season. But overall, he's young, he's big, and he's uh, and he's someone who's performed at a high level. And so even though he's played four seasons and he's only 24, he should still be entering the prime of his career. It's really weird to see a you know a player in general come off of their rookie deal and still only be 24 years old. Like uh so so yeah, I think there's um this idea a lot of times, you know, that most of the time by the end of their their rookie contracts, you have a good feel for what that player is. He's going to be he is what he is at that point, right? You you know, we have a large enough sample at that point to to feel pretty confident in that, but can you really say that like a 24 year old player is a finished product? Um, you know, so it seems like there's still room for growth, which is, is obviously a positive thing, especially for a player that's shown, um, you know, kind of some of the heights that he's shown during his time in Jacksonville. And I think that's one of the big points in his direction is dude made Blake Bortles like look real good for, for a little bit. Um, you know, uh, at 1400 yards in 2015. So that's kind of the right now, the benchmark season, right? That's what, if you're signing him to big money, you're hoping that in some way he can recapture that. And what we've seen, uh, you know, in subsequent seasons is is kind of, you know, not his true talent level and not his true ability. So uh, he, he had a monster year there, 87.5 overall PFF grade. Um, and, you know, again, not ideal circumstances there. That that team for much of his career, um, I mean, he missed the good year, right? This He, yeah. missed, he played three snaps this year. Um, when he's been on that team, like it hasn't had a lot of ability. They haven't been doing a whole lot offensively. Uh, and he still managed to put up good numbers. I mean, he, he's a big dude and he's a dude that uses his size on tape. He's six three two twenty, and he uses that large frame both underneath and in the short game, as well as down the field in contested catch situations. One of the things that we noticed when we were watching film is that he is very, very successful when he's going up for the ball in a contested catch situation. He consistently bailed out Blake Bortles. You mentioned it. He make Bortles look good, which is not always easy Bortles, to do. You know, breaking news here, not actually good. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, not great. Um, he So Allen Robinson had an NFL high 672 yards on deep passes in, two, in 2015. And it definitely wasn't because he was running by guys. He does have speed. It's not like he's slow, yeah. but he's, he's like a four, six guy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got a bit of a burst in second gear, especially in the middle of the stem, but it's not going to be that kind of like, you know, earth shattering speed that you're going to think. No one's going to refer to his Olympic trials is what sure. I'm trying to tell you. Sure. Um, but it definitely did. It did help that he was able to make contested catches, which is why he had such a high yardage uh, total in 2015 on deep passes. Um, and he still uses his frame too on slants where he, especially in, in the red zone area and on kind of the short area passes, he likes to set up DBs outside and then work across those DBs. And he's got the size and strength to just get through whatever hands they put on him and get open really quickly. So he's someone who's big. Yes. But he also plays to his size. Yeah. He like size is kind of the focal point in, in basically every way that he wins, whether it's again, short, whether it's deep, um, and I think, yeah, that ability to make those contested catches, uh, is, is such an added value to your offense. If you have somebody that can do it consistently, I mean, you look at those, that, that 2015 tape, especially, and, and you start going through some of his positive plays and it's just, it's just play after play. I mean, every game there, there are multiple snaps where he's just 
going down the sideline, and it's simply Bortles like chucking up throwing players. it out. Um, I mean, some of them like there's one uh, Bortles is getting like rushed by like three different dudes and is just like falling to the ground and just hurls it up down the sideline, like gives no shits about it's where that ball's going. Chuck and duck. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, he comes down with it and he came down with a lot of plays like that. Um, What's funny is in 2016, I watched some of the, the big plays on Game Pass. You can filter by big plays and it does big plays for both offense and defense. And so I saw a lot of Blake Bortles interceptions and a lot of his picks were the the basically the inverse of the plays that Allen Robinson would make in 2015, where where Bortles is just like, oh my god, I gotta throw it, and he throws it like in the general direction, and Robinson just can't make a play on it because it's such a bad ball. The defender picks it off, and and off they go. So I mean, it, it is live by the Bortles, die by the Bortles. And in 2015, Robinson lived by it, and in 2016, he just he he couldn't bail him out, and that's why I think well, this is one of the reasons why his 2016 was down. Yeah, and, and I mean, he was, you know, pretty visibly frustrated from right? like at, at times in 2016. Um, but looking at like how that fits, right? So how does that fit with the current group of 49ers players? Um, that's something that they don't really have, right? All of the the guys and, and right now, the leading kind of trio that you're expecting is, of course, Garcon, Goodwin, Trent Taylor. Like those are going to be the guys you're expecting to get the bulk of the snaps in this offense next season. And none of them like... You know, Garcon and Goodwin have their moments. You know, they, they, they've they made some plays in contested catches. You know, Garcon definitely in, in kind of like that Anquan Bolden type of, of way, right? Hands like vices. Um, that's not really their game, though. That's not like the 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 focal point of what they do well. Um, those are all guys that separate, right? Trent Taylor, of course, separate in the short and intermediate area. Goodwin separating downfield with the, with the long speed. You know, Garcon doing everything. Um, and, and so they don't have that guy that can go up and, and body guys, he's open when he's not open. Yeah. Right. And I think that helps not only in the ability to throw downfield and create some chunk plays, right. Where you don't have a guy that's necessarily wide open. Um, but there's also a lot of value that in the red zone, right. Of course, space is limited in the red zone. You're not always going to be able to separate down there in those like third and three situations. Like sometimes you have guys that are going to come up play press you're not going to be able to separate and you need that guy that can win on the slant and, yeah. and catch the pass to get a first down with a dude on his back so, and of course a red zone offense is an area where the 49ers need to improve they need yeah. to get touchdowns and not field goals and and it was not an area where they were super strong i mean obviously jimmy garoppolo changed quite a bit but uh there was a pass i saw where Allen robinson ran a slant and he ran it basically through a linebacker and was able to catch the ball in the air before the safety hit him and blake bortles and there's he had no business throwing the ball but of course. Robinson caught it, and it was a touchdown. And, and I mean, that's that's six points when th- there shouldn't have been six points, simply because of his size and his ability to get through a player, catch the ball in a contested situation, and and survive what would have probably been a hit had it not been in the end zone. The safety pulled up. But there are not. It's not all roses with Allen Robinson. Uh, there are some things that you've got to worry about. Fact fact is, he's a high risk player. He's only shown one year of top production before regressing in 2016 a bit and then tearing his ACL in 2017. He had a 74.9 overall PFF grade in 2016, and he only played three snaps in 2017 before injury. So we couldn't even see like a little bit of him yeah. with like decent Blake Bortles. <laughs> we saw three snaps and chart his whole season. Um, and, and frankly, we passed on some cornerbacks in our last episode. If you listen to our last episode and you're thinking, all right, better rivals, guys, you got to stay consistent. Last week, you passed on some cornerbacks because you, they did not have sustained production. They were one-year wonders. And this is where Robinson kind of is. He's a one-year wonder, and he's got injury concerns. 
And and now it's like, yes, let's go ahead and throw a top dollar contract at them. That it's a you can make a very, very easy case that you shouldn't pay for one year wonder production. Absolutely. I think that's where some of the the biggest free agent mistakes happen, right? Is you get you know, we haven't got to edge yet, and I don't know that this is a player that we're gonna end up talking about because I think he stays, but I think there's like concern with that with Demarcus Demarcus Florence, right? yeah. Came out of nowhere. Like had never shown anything, you know, remotely resembling the production that he that he showed this last year. It's tough being the team that pays for that, right? Because there, there's a lot of uncertainty that goes with it. And I think, yeah, there's there's some similar stuff with Robinson. I mean, there's some built-in stuff there that that helps his case against that. But uh, I think the other thing when that you start to look at is in the case against is he doesn't have that sort of complete skill set that you typically think of with an elite receiver. Again, we're expecting him to go up and get the type of money that these top receivers are getting, you know, top of that position level as far as contract goes. Um, but he doesn't really have that same sort of game, right? He, he's, again, there are some things that he does well that he does really, really well when his game is on. Um, but he doesn't have that full, well-rounded skill set that you see from guys like, you know, Julio Jones and Antonio Brown and AJ Green and, and guys like that at the top that are really the best players at their position. Um, I think that comes from the fact that, again, he's not a bad athlete like you mentioned, but he's not a great one. He's either. not a great and, one. And yeah. so I don't know that he's a guy that separates, you know, and, and that can be tough because you need a quarterback that's willing to make those 50 50 balls. And not all guys are comfortable making those throws. They want to throw to the guys that are open. Um, and, and I think if you end up in that situation with him, you're not going to maximize the ability that he does bring. And I think that's that's the ultimate one line case against Allen Robinson is that you're paying number one receiver money for someone who doesn't necessarily have the skill set of a number one receiver. Yeah. And to be clear, like number one. So do I think he's one of the 32 best receivers? Yes. Number one in the sense of, again, like that, that, that to me is like a top level. 10. Yeah, like yeah. That, that to me is like there's 10 receivers maybe that fit that number one can do it all receiver. I think when when we reference number one receiver, the picture you should have in your head right now, Julio Jones. Like yeah, that that's the guy. Is he like an elite player at this position? Yeah, not exactly. just one of the 30. Exactly. Guys. So let's get to the other person in this in this top tier bucket, and that's going to be Sammy Watkins. So the case for Sammy Watkins is he is also young and he is also big. He is also improbably also 24 years old. How many I saw times this, I was like, you gotta be shitting me. How many times can we say also in the introduction of Sammy Watkins? Sammy also Watkins is also 24. He is not also 6'3. Uh, he happens to be 6'1 and 2'11. Not quite the size of Robinson, but it's not a small dude either. I'd still have to look up at just about every single player in the NFL except for maybe Trent Taylor. Sup, Trent Taylor. I would look eye to eye to Trent Taylor. Yep. And I would say, hey, my hands are bigger than yours. That's what I would say to Trent Taylor. <laughs> but Sammy Watkins, oh, he's an explosive athlete. He's a 4-4 guy. He, he was in the 83rd percentile in broad jump. And you want explosive guys as athletes in the NFL because they can make explosive movements. And that's what you want out of a player like, I don't know, a pass rusher or a wide receiver because that explosive kind of movement is going to give them a leg up when they're going up against cornerbacks. He definitely is a different kind of athlete than Robinson. When, when we talk about Robinson not like being a good athlete, obviously he's a good athlete. He's in the NFL. But compared to other NFL athletes, he's not an elite athlete. I would say that Sammy Watkins absolutely is in that upper echelon of athletes when you're looking at wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, it's so noticeable. Like, you go through, and I you know, I went through, like, I don't know, 100-something snaps of Robinson, and you kind of are, are getting used to seeing him on tape. And then all of a sudden, you flip to, to Watkins really quick, and it's just like, whoa. He just okay, pops this off. Is, yeah, this is just a different sort of athlete that you're that you're watching. The movement skills are so much different. Um, and again, that's, that's stuff that shows up on tape. We reference, you know, the 4-4, the, the broad jump numbers, all that, just to back up. Again, this is 
what we see on tape. This is noticeable there. Um, I think the other thing with Watkins that comes up quickly is he's never really had a bad season. You know, there, there, there haven't been, he hasn't always lived up to his, to his potential, which is something that, you know, we'll kind of get to a little bit, but he hasn't had a bad year in all four of his seasons. He's had at least a 72.0 overall grade or higher. Um, and again, that peak year was uh, for him in, in year two as well in 2015, 87.5 overall grade. So has hit similar highs to what we've seen from Robinson, um, but hasn't really gone quite as low, right? It hasn't had, um, you know, hasn't missed the the full season with injuries. So we have a little bit more to go on with Watkins, um, which just, again, makes you the, the more larger sample that you have, the more confident that you can feel that you're going to get the player you've seen on tape. And remember, when you're looking at pro football focus grades and you're in that 70s area, you're an average player. So when we say that he's posted a 72 overall grade or higher, we're saying he's played average at the wide receiver position or higher, which yeah. is not something that all players can say. So he's pretty capable of making some spectacular plays. He's made excellent receptions. He's a legit deep threat, and he's aggressive in looking at yards after catch, which is important because I don't know that Marquise Goodwin is a very, very good yards after catch receiver. I think our best yards after catch receiver right now is, is Garcon, yeah. um, and having another yak receiver would probably be good. But probably the most impressive thing that I was looking at when I was looking through Sammy Watkins' stats was that he has a 0% drop rate on 39 catchable balls. The guy didn't drop anything, which is awesome. Especially considering that some of his balls were uh, not easy targets. I think he had like 12 deep passes that he caught, uh, didn't drop a single one that were catchable. I mean, we saw, we talked about in one of our game recaps this year, right? During yeah. that Thursday night game. Oh, the over-the-shoulder game. The over-the-shoulder, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there. He, this guy was like a top 10 pick for a reason. They, yeah. There, there's an incredible amount of talent there, and I don't think that, that, that anybody can really argue that if they, they spend time watching him on tape. So what's the case against him? Well, the case against him is that is it a little when we talk about skill fits and skill sets uh, Sammy Watkins is a fast guy this is the allure of Sammy Watkins we talked about his 4-4 speed we talked about his athleticism but is he redundant to Marquise Goodwin we've already got our deep threat guy we were looking at uh, a play where he scored a deep touchdown on the Yankee concept because one of the other kind of pluses for Watkins is that he comes from a similar system and that he comes from the Ram system. Man, McVay runs a similar system to Shanahan because they had their crossover together in Washington. So the transition, we know that his that what he was asked to do and where he succeeded also fits with what the Niners would ask him to do in San Francisco. But we've already got a player that does a lot of that role in Marquise Goodwin, and he does it fairly well. So it might be a redundant player that we're adding and we're paying top dollar for some redundancy. Yeah. Again, do you bring something different or are you an improvement over what we already have? Is he a better version of Goodwin? I I think from a talent perspective, I think it's, there's no question that, that Sammy Watkins, the best of Sammy Watkins is much better than the best of Marquise Goodwin. Yeah. But, right? but to the, me, I think you get to, I mean, Goodwin was a concussion away from having a thousand yards this season. Right. And, and well, to well, again, me, and that, that difference is like, OK, so maybe Sammy Watkins is like maybe like 10 percent difference in terms of yards right over the course of the year, maybe 15 percent if we're being generous. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the difference in contract is worth that 15 percent difference. Right. Again. So even though, yeah, I think the the talent is is there. He hasn't been able to to really have that translate into to consistent top end production. Right. Again, hasn't really been bad, but only has that one year of really good despite, you know, it just having all the talent in the world um, and, and being 
you know, incredibly gifted in that area. And I think the other thing that's kind of damning for him is you look at that Rams offense, right? He was one of many guys to kind of come into this Rams offense uh, that, that despite, just kind of despite all up. of his talent, despite yeah. all of his talent and how good he was and all of his pedigree. He was the fourth most targeted player on that Rams offense. Um, and, and so if you come from, you know, and again, they had they had talent, some talented players there. But I mean, you're getting out targeted by players like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Um, how like it, what does that say about you as a player? It says you're going to get out targeted by Trent Taylor. Right. If you can't come in, you know, you're expecting if you sign Sammy Watkins right now as, as the 49ers, you're doing it because you expect him to be your number one receiver. If he couldn't do that in a similar offense with, I think, um, you know, I don't know, overall similar talent. You know, I, I don't think that Robert Woods and Cooper Cup is are, are you know necessarily world beaters. Like they're talented players, good players, yeah. but they're not great top end guys. Um, if you couldn't come in and command that number one option there, like, you know, what does that say about you? You should be a little bit worried about that, I think. So that's the, that's the top end and the top tier bucket. Those are the two players we think are going to be on the radar for the 49ers. And if you've been listening and paying attention, and if you're doing work right now, stop doing your work. Stop. Look away from the Excel it's spreadsheet. Listen to your earbuds right now. Um, it, we, we prefer of these two players. I would say I prefer Allen Robinson. Um, and and to me, it's it's yeah. it's not like a huge preference. We're not talking like, oh, my God, it's clear. But I think that just what they bring to me, Allen Robinson, I'd prefer that skill set yeah. than I would. I think to be clear, overall, I think both players are good. I think yes. both players could help offenses Agreed. around the league. Um, I Yeah, I think for the 49ers specific situation, yeah. Robinson seems to make a little more sense. So let's get to the mid-level players. And in the mid-level players, we're actually not going to get to wide receivers. We're actually going to look at both a tight end and a running back. Both players that we think are going to get that mid-level contract for their position. And that first player is going to be the red man himself, Jimmy Graham. I've consistently said year over year, you don't trust a ginger. You just can't do it. I don't. I, it, I feel weird talking about Jimmy Graham in this way. He has no soul. I mean, that's a verifiable fact. Fact. Yeah. That's, and South, Nothing South, but the facts here. South Park made it true. <laughs> he has no soul. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was empty when he was playing that uh, divisional game with the Saints against the Niners. He was not in the game. He just he probably doesn't even remember it. I mean, I'm just go, I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there right now. Uh, but let, let's talk yeah, about Jimmy gosh. Graham like for real. Let's not create some bullshit about Jimmy Graham. But th- there is a solid case for why Jimmy Graham could be an interesting option for the Niners. And he brings something that the 49ers need. He you're going to see a theme here. He's big. <laughs> He's big and he knows how to use his frame to box people out especially in the red zone in one-on-one situations. He had 10 touchdowns for the Seattle Seahawks last year once they figured out that he shouldn't be a run-blocking tight end and they should just throw it up to him in the red zone. He had eight touchdowns in the final 10 games. So he came on strong at the end of the year. And and once the Seattle Seahawks realized that, like, hey, he's not a complete tight end, just run him on a fade and yeah. throw the ball up. Things started to work out for him. I love this like idea that, oh, Seattle finally figured out how to use him in the red zone. And it's not like, you know, some creative thing like they're they introduced some new concepts that they're going to get in. It's like, oh, we're just going to stick him out there, you know, one on one and just throw it up and see what happens. Jimmy Graham has four routes. And he runs those four routes to pretty like pretty well. And that's it. He's going to be a threat in the red zone on on fades and jump balls. Um, he is going to control the seam area, that area between the numbers and the hash mark um, that you see tight ends and slot players so often go into like that's that that inside vertical route. 
Um, it is very if you can attack that area, that's very tough for defenses to be able to deal with. Um, so so there is a lot of value in having a player that can be very good there and, and be able to be a guy that goes up and, and makes receptions and takes that hit from the safety that's going to be coming inevitably. So uh, I think, yeah, he's again, he's very good there. Um, and this is the theme, right? This is the thing that the 49ers don't currently have among their pass catchers is the guy that can go up and and be a big body and win in those contested uh, catch situations consistently. So the thing with Jimmy Graham is that he offers it, he offers a skill set that is similar to Allen Robinson in that he is going to be a big guy who can catch uh, contested situations, but his contract value will ideally be lower just simply due to his position. When you look at the top contracts for tight ends, you're looking at forty to fifty million dollars total, seven to ten million on average per year, and about thirty percent guaranteed. For Graham to be palatable, I mean, we've put him in that mid-level bucket for a reason. He'd need to get to that like three and a half to five million dollars per year area. When you look at a contract that's very similar, we're looking at like Vernon Davis type money. Vernon Davis got fifteen million, five million a year, and half of that was guaranteed. So it's more than that thirty percent, but. It's still overall but you get less per year. Value, exactly. Right? It's yeah. overall not a huge investment. If you can get Jimmy Graham, who's 31 years old, he's old, right? He's not young. He's no spring chicken. Uh, he, if you look, if you're able to get him for that $15 million contract, then you start to think to yourself, okay, you're adding the thing that the Niners are missing in that big bodied receiver, especially in the red zone. But can you add it for much cheaper? And, and that's, I think, the question. If Jimmy Graham begins to approach top tight end money, when you start getting into that, like, seven, eight, nine million dollars a year, nope. pull the ripcord. Nope. No way. Because, ultimately, there's a pretty strong case against Jimmy Graham, and it has to do with the fact that he's just not complete. Yeah, I think that's the place you have to start. You look at what Shanahan likes in tight ends, and right, and just, I think, the, kind of the way that he goes about offense in general and a lot of what they do comes from the they use more heavy personnel sets than a lot of teams around the league at this point they're still heavy on 11 for sure which is your three wide receiver set but they get again we're one of the only teams as a fullback on the roster they put multiple tight ends on the field and a lot of that has to do with the ability to come out and not tip run pass um you want to be able to throw the ball when you put multiple tight ends on the field and the problem with jimmy graham is either a you can't have him on the field in that situation, which is in and of itself somewhat of a tip to the defense and that, OK, we probably don't have to be as concerned about the pat or about the the pass when he's not on the field. And we have to be more concerned about it when he is on the field um, or you're you're leaving yourself deficient run blocking. Right. He's not a good blocker. He doesn't seem all that interested in blocking a lot of the time. Um, and, and so from that perspective, it just doesn't seem like a great fit for what they want at the position. If you bring in a player like Graham, I think you have to view him as a receiver, right? You just, you're, you're going to use him in the slot. You're going to set him out wide and try to get linebackers matched up on him. You're not going to use him as a traditional tight end because uh, if you do, that's going to make your offense worse. I think Seattle found that out, right? Yeah. So you're still, you'd still need to carry three tight ends in order to make Jimmy Graham work, which makes him a pretty big wide receiver. And, and he becomes a very, very interesting option if we're able to get him at that kind of five million a year area, as opposed to that seven to nine or $10 million a year area. If that contract gets that high, then hell to the gnaw. But the other interesting person here in this mid-level area is going to be uh, Jarek McKinnon, running back, Minnesota Vikings. A lot and, more fun. Uh, he is <laughs> absolutely a lot more fun. He's someone who I think we 
can and should absolutely go after because he fits precisely what Shanahan wants from one of his backs. He's great in the passing game. He had an 82.6 receiving grade from Pro Football Focus, which was his career high. He ranked 12th in yards per route run. And his pass blocking efficiency wasn't great, but wasn't terrible. Uh, It was nine spots better than Carlos Hyde, which means he's better at the things that you need to be good in the passing game, which is what Carlos Hyde was not good at. Uh, And so I think overall, when you look at Jarek McKinnon's tape, he's someone who shows pop in the passing game. He can turn those short dump off passes into productive, uh, in a productive positive yards. Uh, And he is a a plus athlete in a way that I don't know the Niners have on this roster in the passing game because we love Matt Breida. We do. And we think he's a great addition to the roster. And we think he's going to have, you know, a fantastic year overall. But he's not a pass catcher. Yeah. I mean, that's not his strength. I mean, we get to reunite the Georgia Southern backfield here. Jared McKinnon, also Georgia uh, Southern alum here. Um, yeah, also incredible athlete, right? We talked about Brita ranking. I think he was the number one spark running spark, back, yeah. um, yep. you know, last year's draft class. Um, McKinnon is also an incredible athlete. It shows up on tape. Um, he's got we great, like athletes here on the Better Rivals podcast. And, and we talked about this all last offseason, right? And the 49ers do, too. This was something that was a prevalent theme yes. in their draft class, um, in their free agent class. Um, this is something that they clearly focus on. Uh, and so it's something that, you know, we should be focused on when we're trying to identify players. And, and McKinnon definitely fits that. And you're going to notice we don't mention a lot about the run game. Um, I got some I, I saw some comments about like cornerbacks. We didn't talk about run support with cornerbacks. Guess what? I don't give a shit about the run game. Um, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Well, well, what's uh, the uh, who? Who was it? Was it Alex Gibbs who said we don't block corners, we block safeties? Yeah, like corners. Guess what? I'm paying my corners to fucking cover. Yeah. Um. You know. God, I, was it, I, I maybe it was maybe it was Saban. Maybe it was, I'll, I'll look it up. You continue. Uh, I think it was Alex Gibbs. Alex, Alex Gibbs. Gibbs outside yeah. zone stuff. Yeah. We yeah. we we don't block we don't corners, corners in the we block NFL. Safeties. We block safeties. That's right. Um. And so I think right now with the offense, yes, is our running backs going to need to run the ball? Sure. Um, do I care a whole lot about what they do there? Not really. You need guys that for can, the context of this podcast, uh, sure. I mean, largely in general, that's an, that's another conversation. Um, but we're focused on we need guys that can add value in the passing game. You know, that's that's what wins. You need to be able to throw the ball well. You need to be able to stop the pass. That's how you win games in the NFL. And so we're really focused on their their run value. You look at Carlos Hyde, right? Running back position had a shit ton of targets. Um, didn't do a whole lot with those targets. And a lot of those come on, you know, just the checkdowns, right? Yep. Guys going through progressions. I don't have anybody open. Let me dump it off to my back. Carlos Hyde didn't always do a whole lot with those those passes because that's not really his game. Um, McKinnon can do stuff with that, right? He, he can make guys miss. Um, he can create yardage and pick up first downs and keep your offense on schedule when you're getting to your final option, your check down, and you're just kind of your last gasp at getting positive yardage on that play. He can really make stuff happen. I think he fits really well with the screen game. You know, uh, Minnesota didn't use him super creatively um, in their their passing game. I think there's more there that Shanahan would be able to do. But I think the skill set definitely fits, and it, it's very intriguing as to what he could do in the passing game. Now, honestly, the only thing we could find against Jarek McKinnon is that running back is maybe not where you want to spend a ton of money this year, especially given the depth of the draft class at the running back position. If we've got him in that mid-tier area, and the mid-tier contract for a running back is going to be in that three-year, $12 million area. 
And all things considered, that's not a huge inversion. We kind of discounted Le'Veon Bell and we discounted uh, Deion Lewis because if they were going to command that $7 million a year contract and Le'Veon Bell is going to be in his own stratosphere, that that devotes too much of your cap space to a running back. But Jarek McKinnon doesn't even break that bank if he's at that mid-level. And we think he will be, obviously, because ultimately Dalvin Cook is going to be the the starter in, um, in, in Minnesota. So... If he can come and be a role player somewhere else and get a little bit more money than he's going to get in Minnesota, then I think that he could do it. And I don't think that a three-year, $12 million deal is too much for the Niners to spend at this point. I was going to say, I think mid-level is even like that was we, we were kind of going back and forth as to where to place him. And it was between there and bargain. Yeah. You know, it's hard to, to, again, know where some of these role players are going to be valued at across the league. But I think I could very easily see a scenario in which, like, okay, he's yeah. been pretty much a part-time player his entire career. He's the change of pace um, back. Yeah, and nobody's seen him as a primary option, so we're not going to be willing to commit a lot of money to him. And so if he slips to even less than that, I think, yeah, he he's a player that they should definitely look at. He's going to be, I think, our first we're all in on this, like, diamond in the yeah. rough kind of player where we think he could really add a huge value to the Niners based on both his contract value and what he brings to the team because if i, I honestly if we sign out i would be over the fucking moon yeah they they don't have anybody um that can do the things that he does yeah. currently. so let's get to the bargain bin and there are two players in this bargain bin also a tight end uh both former well one current the other former cincinnati Bengal. one's going to be tyler eifert the other is going to be one mr grit himself rex burkhead could the Niners handle that much grit on the team at the same time? Trent Taylor and oh, Rex man. Burkhead. Be real tough, but yeah. I think we can get Yeah, it I think we could do it. Yeah. Let's talk about Tyler Eifert first. Tyler Eifert, of course, he is a talented tight end that was 20th in defensive yards uh, above replacement, which, or I'm sorry, defense adjusted yards above replacement, which is football outsiders metric for figuring out the value of a player over the course of a year. Um, and overall, Tyler Eifert's a player that is very, very talented uses really, really good hands and body placement to shield to shield against smaller defensive backs. And he he's a guy that just is super duper talented, especially when he plays. The problem is when he plays. I think you can make the argument that of all the players that we're gonna talk that we talked about in this episode, that Tyler Eifert is the single most talented player yeah. in that group. Um he's it, so good, dude. His hands are so soft. Go. I, I would encourage you to go read. So a couple of years ago, when Andy Dalton had you know his kind his of career like, year, t- yeah, top year, and, and Eifert was playing and playing super well. Um, Sam Monson at PFF wrote a great article about all the things that Eifert does for their offense, and I think it really gives you a good idea of what he can do at his peak. And it's it's really the thing that makes Gronk so great, right? Is that he can do everything. He can block well. He can uh, so so that again gives you that formational versatility that I don't have to tip run pass in my offense when he's on the field, um, and he can move around. You know, he can line up wide or in the slot. He can line up in line, and he can be productive in all of those different situations. So there's not a whole lot from the tight end position that he can't do. The problem is again, he's just not on the field. He's had uh, it, you know injury labels are you know tough and sometimes unfair. This one is, it's is legit. pretty just, yeah. He's played only he he played in only two games in 2017 before getting a season end before basically succumbing to a season ending back injury. He's never played a full 16 game season, and he's played a total of 39 out of 69 possible regular season games in his five year career. If health is a skill, Tyler Eifert has none of it, and 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 that's the problem. Yeah. The pr- and this is why he's in the bargain bin because if he were to if he were to even have maintained one season of health. He would be at minimum 
in the mid-level and probably pushing up against that top tier. Oh, yeah. I mean, his best, again, his when he's on the field, he is a top tight end. Like, he would be, we would be talking about him in, like, that, you know, tra- the, the guy's right below Gronk, right? Yeah. The Travis Kelsey yeah. range, essentially. Um, and, and, I mean, that's the kind of talent level that he brings to the table. And I think he's a perfect bargain option, right? Because I don't see upside, any team in risk. their right mind that would give him any sort of, like, long-term big-money deal with the, yeah. the injury history that he has. But... If you bring him on, you sign him to a one-year sort of prove-it deal, and he happens to stay healthy, like, shit, he's going to help out your offense quite a bit. And so I think that's, you know, that's the type of player that you're looking for in this bargain range. It may not work out, and if it doesn't, cool. Like, they're they're not going to be out... Uh, a whole lot it's not going to hurt them long term or anything like that so it's a it's a, a good risk to take rex burkhead is the other player in the bargain bin and this is another pass catching running back who is just based on his skin color completely gritty and i'm sure he also brings a, l- a lunch pail to work uh yep. but uh, on the real though he has 108 of his 195 pass snaps that he played were in- basically included a route run which means that he's basically a route running pass catching running back he was used to come in and and produce in the passing game create ma- mismatches with linebackers yep. like that was he, that was how they used him he ranked second in yards per route run so he can be productive in the passing game he also plays special teams which is awesome because when you assign someone like this and you're adding these these players that are role players you also hope and expect that they can play other roles in uh, in and on special teams so overall he would be someone that could that could bolster both the pass catching unit as well as special teams. But the the problem with Rex Burkhead, and it's not necessarily a problem per se, but that he's not as well rounded as McKinnon, and he wouldn't necessarily come at a much cheaper contract. This year, he signed a three point one million dollar deal, and that was just a one year deal. When you look at what you know, someone like Jarek McKinnon is going to command, it's only going to be like nine hundred thousand dollars more. And yeah. and for that nine hundred thousand dollars per year, I would much rather have someone like McKinnon than I would someone like Burkhead. I think where where Burkhead comes in right is if a team overvalues McKinnon. So if if for some reason there's somebody out there that comes in and decides that they want to give McKinnon Kyle Usechek money, um, we're gonna say nope. Jesus Christ that Usechek contract. Thanks, Fuck. but no thanks. Yeah, they're paying Kyle Usechek like a top ten running back, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Rex Burkhead. <laughs> He would be a cheaper option. Uh, I legit thought Rex so, Burkhead was a fullback just like for a while just because just because he's, he's a white, white dude. I yeah. mean, that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you see it. He's he's kind of, yeah, he's like a poor man's version. He's not as athletic as McKinnon, but he, he has value. In, he's shifty, right? He's shifty in the short areas. Um, he can make guys miss. He can create yards after the catch. Um, you know, he's got a pretty wicked spin move. Yeah, I was going to say the, the nice thing about so, you know, mentioned with McKinnon in, in Minnesota's offense that. We didn't get to see him used all that creatively in the passing game, so you have to kind of project, okay, I see some stuff here that looks like it could work when he does stuff that Kyle Shanahan's going to ask him to do. You have to do less of that with Rex Burkhead because New England uses their backs in the passing game creatively. They ask him to do a lot. You see a lot of option routes over the middle. You see him split out wide at times, um, and and so it's all stuff that seems to translate very well to what Shanahan would uh, likely ask this type of player to do. So overall, David, would you say that this crop of free agent pass catchers excites you? Or would you say that you're, uh, despite the excitement we have on the show, that the, this group is kind of like, eh? Um, I mean, it's eh. I mean, that's just kind of where it's at. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it, it's hard to be overly excited about the guys at the top. You know, paying them top end money 
I think those are high risk moves. Um, you know, could it work out again? I, I really like Allen Robinson, Sammy Watkins as players. I don't love paying them at the top of the receiver market. You know, I just don't think that they're going to ultimately be players that that prove to be worth that sort of value. Um, I think there are some options, uh, you know, at some of the other positions, right? I, one of the things that you notice, so we didn't mention receiver in either the mid-level or the bargain. And I think that has to do less with the receiver class. I mean, a little bit, a little bit there, but more that we feel comfortable with what they have receiver exactly. and, and, you know, uh, I think receiver especially isn't a huge need. Could they use a top end guy? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody and, could, you know, um, there, there's very few teams that, that aren't in that situation. But if you but, would have asked me last year, like whether or not we needed a wide receiver right away, I would have said, absolutely. I would, I didn't think that this group would have gelled as well as it. I wouldn't have thought that Marquise Gooden would have been close to a thousand yard receiver. Yeah. I wouldn't have, I, and I mean, we had our ideas about Trent Taylor, but we're happy sure. that that panned out. Um, and Garcon, Garcon's way better than I, for some reason, there's this thing going around that like Garcon's not that good. No, he's Dude awesome. is a fucking monster. Yeah. Um, and he's probably got like, if you look at what he did last year, pre-injury, um, without Jimmy Garoppolo and what he did, he's a top year before, 15 wide receiver. Yeah. Those are probably two of his best seasons of his career. He's yeah. not even remotely tailing off. Like he looked great last year. He didn't get a play with the, yeah. the new quarterback, right? And it's not like his injury. Better. And his injury is not a long-term injury. His neck, his injury was a broken bone in his neck that once that thing heals, you're good. Yeah. So it, it, um, it's, he's he, going to be great. I, I think our wide receiver core is not as desperate as we needed to. And I think that when we, and this is why we structured the episode around pass catchers, because I think that it's the other areas of the team that really need yeah. that upgrade. It's that tight end or maybe the wide, or, or maybe the running back position that really need those upgrades. So overall, I think it's, it's kind of hard to get super excited about this crop of pass catchers when you're looking at wide receivers. And overall, this crop of free agent pass catchers doesn't excite us. But we do think there's some value in that mid-level and in that bargain area, especially around that tight end and running back position that we think we can reasonably go after and make and have a pretty severe impact on the team overall. So the last thing we're going to do in the last couple of minutes we've got is talk about some other options. We're going to do a bottom line speed round basically and talk about some of the other names that we've heard con like in 49er land and like should we go after this person would we go after this person and give you just a one line what we think about that player and david and i are going to basically alternate we've got five people that we're going to include in this area and so we'll start with probably one of my favorites and that's going to be terrell Pryor. Um, so, you know, this is, uh, I think an interesting player, right? Um, one year removed from Scott McLuhan, having him as his number one wide receiver. Um, he is again, that ideal, I think bargain candidate, um, has great size, you know, good red zone target, um, has a lot of ability, but hasn't really put it all together. So I think he's somebody that could be potentially a buy low guy that you're, you're banking on capitalizing on that upside. The next person is going to be Marquise Lee, another intriguing option. But due to the emergence of Marquise Goodwin, I'm not sure that he necessarily fits what the 49ers need right now. Uh, Jordan Matthews is a player that I think is interesting. He's a big slot option. Um, he is coming off the worst season of his career. So, again, you have that low point in value that's going to drive his price down. The thing with him uh, is I'm not sure that Shanahan really wants that type of player in his offense. I don't know that he's going to utilize that big slot as much, um, but it would be a low-risk signing if they did. 
Next up is Damian Williams. He definitely fits the free agent model we're looking for. He's a young, cheap running back, and he's got a lot of value in that in that passing game. But he's not someone that we would value as high as someone like a McKissick. And so ultimately, he's going to be someone that hopefully we can sign as depth if we don't get someone like, uh, oh, I'm sorry, not McKissick, but McKinnon. Uh, yeah. And, and that's, I'm, I'm teasing here. McKissick is the next player, right? So he's, again, uh, a back um, that has value in the passing game. For him, he was a converted college wide receiver um, again, upside, that's the component that we're looking for with those bargain players. Um, he's got some good hands. You know, he's not overly elusive. But again, potential there, college wide receiver, passing game focus. That's what we're looking at for for the backs that we potentially want to add in free agency. And so that does the end of the bottom line speed run. We covered a lot of players in this episode. We went through more than we did last time, I think. Uh, but Yeah, I mean, there's obviously three positions. There's a lot more. I mean, it helps that there aren't necessarily i mean it's that not a many strong options. class yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean it's it, in uh you know i think you deal with that in free agency sometimes you know the best players don't hit free agency all that often right yeah. usually teams want to hang on to those guys so it can be a little bit tough sledding but um you know there's some intriguing options not guys i'm really going crazy over so thank you to everyone who's tuned in this week to the better rivals podcast you can always follow me on twitter that's at better rivals david where can they follow you that'll be at newman nfl if you're listening and you like what you've heard definitely leave us a review on itunes or on google play or anywhere that you get your podcast it helps other people discover the show it moves us up in the rankings and it helps spread the gospel of 49 football making everyone a better rival when it comes to football. So definitely leave us a review. Uh, and next week, uh, which one are we going to cover next week? I think we're going to do Edge next week, right? Yeah, Edge, I think, finally next week. And we're saving uh, interior offensive line for last, which will be the following week. That's right. And we planned it that way specifically so that we could get all the franchise tags out of the way. Because I think franchise tags come at or near when we're going to have our podcast episode. So we can omit and eschew any one of the Demarcus Lawrence players that are going to get the franchise tag. Yeah, so Lawrence. the the day before we record is the first day that teams can tag players. So yep. hopefully we'll get we'll know, have they'll, some they'll be on clarity. top of it and and yeah they'll uh, you know give us some idea of players that aren't going to be available. That's exactly right. So thanks again everyone for tuning in. Make sure to leave those reviews wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And as always, go Niners. I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.